And I was going to say, like, happy post-Thanksgiving weekend, but now it's like, happy Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, and pre-Cyber Monday weekend. So... I don't know if your inbox was as flooded as mine with all these deals that you absolutely couldn't miss for the weekend, but I almost had to like look into some anti-anxiety solutions for all of the mailings that came to my mailbox and then came in my inbox, and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And so I just feel like the companies and consumers, they kind of keep pushing and pushing Thanksgiving until one day we're just going to wake up and it's not going to be an official American holiday. But there was one company that decided to push back on all this, and I want you to take a look at their little video that they did. In the news tonight, another Black Friday has arrived. Modern tradition, Black Friday. Lines are already forming, hundreds of people deep. Just a handful of this door pressure deals inside. Retailers opening their doors on Thanksgiving evening. These employees took their Thanksgiving dinners to go. The doors are opening. Shoppers rushing now, if you went out, that's totally fine. I don't know if this was marketing genius or actually a genuine attempt for, for this company to be authentic to its values. The CEO tasks an executive team nine months ago to say, hey, come up with an idea that's, that's true to our company. And when they brought this back, the CEO was like, whoa. Seriously, we're going to just close? But as they talked, he, he so bought into it that not only did they close Thanksgiving, but they were also closed on Friday and they were closed online, which in my opinion takes some guts to do. So I give him a shout out for, for stopping. And that's one of the reasons I think I like the opt-out campaign. If you're not an REI fan, I'm not trying to sell you on REI. My point is, Thanksgiving is one of these few holidays that does the very same thing. It gives us an opportunity to stop. Have you thought about what in your life is worth stopping for? See, we're going to look at a text today from the end of the book of Esther. And if you've read the book of Esther or you've been with us through the series, then you know that it's taken this grandiose story where, where these God's people ended up in exile. In exile, they're bullied and they're kind of left to themselves. They have no real power. They have no real significance. And they get into this situation where one evil person rises to power and says that he's going to destroy all of the Jews and it's going to happen. He takes this chance. He rolls the dice and that's what they did in the Near East. They rolled the dice to cast lots for these significant days and almost a year out, he is going to destroy the Jews and he has now even, even gotten the king of the entire land to agree to this. And so this is nine months away so it gives God's people time to pray it gives God's people time to act, and they come out still alive. And what we pick up in the story today is one of their reasons to stop. But remember, this isn't just a story from long ago. There probably was many, many times in the Jewish people's lives where they, f- where they didn't feel like stopping and where they didn't feel like celebrating. So rather than just hear a story that sounds far away, think about what it would be like if you were one of these people, not just on this day of relief that we'll see, but for a lifetime of stopping. So it starts, I'm going I'm to pick it up in Esther 9, verse uh, 
17. This fateful day where they were going to be destroyed happened and they were still alive. This happened, uh, verse says on verse 17, on the 13th day of the month of Adar and on the 14th day they rested and they made it a day of feasting and joy. The Jews in the city, however, Susa, they assembled on the 13th and the 14th day. They must have had more enemies that wanted to kill them. And so then on the 15th day, they rested and they made it a day of feasting and joy. So that's why the rural Jews, those living in villages, observe the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting and a day of giving presents to each other. So Mordecai, one of these people that was Esther's cousin that rose to power, he recorded all these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes near and far, 127 if you remember, to celebrate the 14th and the 15th days of this month, the month of Adar, as the day and the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and the month when their sorrow was turned to joy and their mourning to celebration. He wrote for them to observe these days as days of feasting and joy and of giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. This is this proclamation of what they were to do for all time. And if it doesn't quite make sense to you, remember that this isn't just to a specific people and a specific place. These words and this event was to remain continually significant to people of faith. I want you to think about why. What would it be like to be in a country where you have no status and no power, and, and yet, when, when the people of power try to take you out, try to kill you as God's people, you survive it. And you remember that there's this God who has plans for you that has promised you things for the future and you actually live to tell it. I imagine that first day of feasting and celebrating would have been phenomenal. I imagine the next year would have been phenomenal. But would it have continued to be this day that you celebrate, this day that you remember? Because that's where God's people have always been invited to remember. I think... They declared this time of festival in exile because God saved them from death. God changed their sadness to joy. It says he changed their mourning into a holiday. And he reminded them of their ultimate destiny. If we want to not just have a holiday pass by, but actually make it a real holiday where we can sense God, where we can feel his presence, and where we can be reminded of of his ultimate destiny for us, I think there are three things in the text that we can do to know what to celebrate. And the first one I see is that you can celebrate that God makes a way to ultimate rest. You can celebrate that God makes a way to ultimate rest. See, before I even knew that God was working in my life, this idea to stop happened one Thanksgiving. I was 11 years old, and I was slurping up my Fruit Loops from the morning breakfast, and I'm watching my mom work methodically in the kitchen as she's getting the turkey ready and stuffing it full of, of stuffing, and then she's working on mashing the potatoes up, and, and all of a sudden these scrumptious flavors start permeating through the house as my sister and I went and played downstairs and got along, so that was a miracle in itself. It was a Thanksgiving miracle. And about three hours go by and we're not fighting and all of a sudden I think I smell these things that are good from the kitchen and I hear this scream like, ah! 
I run upstairs, and my, my dad comes in. My mom's crying. My dad thinks he's done something wrong, and my sister and I are like, what happened? And my mom extracts this turkey from the oven, and, and when she opens the door, I realize that there's no scrumptious smells coming from the oven. That instead a very, very pale turkey comes out of the oven, not cooked, and this horror comes across her face, and the oven is broken. And I would love to say that my sister and I, like, received Children of the Year awards, but I'm pretty sure that I said, Thanksgiving is ruined! (laughs) And my sister is like, what are we going to do now? And in that moment, my dad just, there's hysteria, but then all of a sudden my dad saves the day. He goes, kids, go up, get dressed, and put on nice clothes because we are going to one of the two fancy restaurants in town. So I'm like, So we get all dressed up. We go out to the Northland Inn, which is the fancy restaurant in town. And we sit down. There's one other family in this restaurant. And I'm not sure they celebrate Thanksgiving. And it's about 4 or 4.30 in the afternoon. There's still enough light outside that, that it was early, but yet very quiet in the restaurant. And we all sit down. What's your, what's your Thanksgiving dinner special? And they're like, oh, no, we don't, we don't have any turkey. We don't have any Thanksgiving special. And I was just crushed. My dad said, well, you can have duck. They have duck. Duck's like a mini turkey. No, no, I can't do that. I'm, I'm 11. I can't, I can't eat anything of flavor. And so I just remember in this moment where I'm sitting there eating my juicy cheeseburger and eating my crispy fries, and I'm sulking because Thanksgiving is ruined in my 11-year-old mind. And my dad doesn't, my dad's pretty smart, but he doesn't have many of these moments. But he just had this moment where he goes, hey kids, what makes Thanksgiving? And I'm like, turkey and stuffing and the can of cranberries with the little ribs on it that you know is totally processed, like mashed potatoes and gravy, that makes Thanksgiving. I, I didn't, I missed it. And my mom stops and she says, well, I'm really even though the oven broke, I'm glad our house is still up. It didn't burn down. And I'm glad we're all together. And we're just here in this moment. And that's where I learned what is worth stopping for. In this moment where Thanksgiving was ruined, and yet Thanksgiving was completely redeemed as a day that it's okay to stop. Would you talk for a few minutes at your tables about what you stop for? And if that's a confusing question, just maybe where in your life where you've had enough pause that you can open your eyes and see where God's at work? So if we want our festivals or our holidays to be real, holidays, holidays that God infuses, holidays that don't uh, give, drive us to craziness, drive us to sickness, even drive us to addiction, then then we have to remember what to celebrate so we can celebrate that God makes a way to ultimate rest, that he came through for these people and he can come through in our lives as well. The second thing I see here is that we can celebrate that God makes a way to ultimate destiny. Look at the the ways that the Jews celebrated this festival. 
It starts in verse 23, that the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written for them. Why? For Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them, and he had cast the pur, that is the lot, the, the fate, the chance, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme that Haman had devised against the Jews should come back on his own head, and that his sons and he should be impaled on poles. Little graphic. These days, therefore, were called Purim, from the word pur, because of everything that is written in this letter, and because of what they had seen and what happened to them. That the Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom that they had, that they and their descendants and all who would join them would never fail to observe these two days every year in the way prescribed at the appointed time. And that the days should be remembered in every generation, by every family, in every province, and in every city. And that these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by all the Jews, nor the memory of these days ever die out among their descendants. So Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. Again, this isn't about us as people who follow Jesus celebrating this festival, but it is, in a sense, about this remember and reminding us to celebrate that God makes a way for ultimate destiny. Because here is a people where it says, that God had had these people in a place where he goes unnamed in the whole story. Not only unnamed, but also more or less unnoticed. And yet, there's a power that guides the story. This word pur, or purim, is really about chance. It's really about fate. That's what the word means. And it's so, the festival could be named a, a feast of chance. Because what happened is this this Haman, this evil man, as the story says, he took a chance on rolling this dice to, to proclaim a day to destroy these people. And the king, oblivious to what was going on, says, sure, we can do that. And it just so happened that he chanced it, and it was almost a year away. So what happened then is that Esther took a chance to go to the king. And so it's sort of this, this, this celebration is this brash denial of chance in our lives. Maybe you hear people talk about coincidences in their life. Oh, this just happened to work out. I, I don't know how it did. Well, maybe you are someone who doesn't believe in coincidences. You would say there's just God incidences, where God just incidentally happens to show up in a situation in your life, and it makes all the difference in the world. This is this idea that we celebrate that God makes a way for ultimate destiny. That we actually believe that, that the words in the Bible are true. That we're not quite sure how it's going to work out, but we know who holds the answers to how it's going to work out. That s- verses like Jeremiah 29 that says that God knows the plans he has for us. Plans for a hope and a future. That that God who made promised plans to a people even when they were in exile even when they can't see where God is working, even when they can't see where God is named, they say that God has plans for us. So think about being in this place where your faith is not recognized. It's, it's, maybe it's not as hard to, 
to do as it used to be. But think about being in a country where your faith is not recognized, where people are out to destroy you. And how easy is it for you to celebrate that God? How easy is it for you to see that that God has an ultimate destiny for his people and he will bring it to fruition whether you join him or not and yet he invites you to be a part of that story. See, there's always, always an enemy in the story because this, again, it's not about just this story of Purim. It's about the story here as it's read in the whole story. See, this story of Esther is just a little snapshot of how God saves his people from ultimate death. The book is written, the Bible is written as a story of how God saves his people from ultimate death because there's always an enemy of death. It just so happens to be in this story that it's Haman. And in the Old Testament, it's Egypt, it's Assyria, it's Babylon, it's Persia. In the New Testament, it's King Herod, it's the Roman Empire. And in your life, maybe you have a person in mind. Maybe your enemy isn't a person so much of an idea or an ism. Maybe it's a busyness. Maybe it's an indulgence. Maybe it's a distraction. You know, when I think about our history, for my grandparents, I think it was the, the Nazis of World War II. They were an ultimate enemy destroying people of faith. Maybe for parents, it's the, the communist Cold War incidents. Maybe for us, it's so easy to think of terrorists like ISIS. See, there's always an enemy. But let's not forget the ultimate enemy. Genesis 2 and 3 tells us the ultimate enemy. God gives us a garden of delight to play in as humans, to work in and have responsibility for. And he says, don't eat from this tree because if you eat from it, you shall, anybody help me out? Surely die. And yet, they physically lived. So there must be a death that is more ultimate than just physically dying. That ultimate death would be being ultimately separated from God. When we celebrate, anytime we celebrate, we have to celebrate that God makes a way for us who are separated from him because of choice, because of rebellion, because of sin, and he brings us back to himself. He restores us, he redeems us, and he brings us to a place where we can have fellowship with him. The Jews of ancient celebrated Purim, and they celebrated that there was a new destiny, that there was this renewed hope, that there was a God who had these plans. For us, for Jesus' followers, we can celebrate in communion. You've got elements at each of your tables under, the, under those napkins there. And as we celebrate communion, we celebrate Jesus' death because it made a way from our separation to be restored. Think about the enemies in your life right now. Can you confess them? Maybe you want to do it out loud. Maybe you're not ready to do that. But let's not just read Esther's story and think it's this isolated incident. Let's bring this story of salvation into today. We have an opportunity to do that with communion.
that when we take this bread, we remember that it's Jesus' broken body that he, he gives for us. That when we take this cup, we remember that it's Jesus' blood that is shed for us. Because death, meaning separation from God, is the ultimate enemy. And God makes a way, and it's what we can celebrate today. I think it says it so beautifully in this, in Revelation 1. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the one who is, who always was, and the one who is still to come. I am the Almighty One. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one, but I died. But look, I am alive forever, and I hold the keys to death and the grave. When you celebrate, you celebrate that Jesus is the author of life, that he is the conqueror of death. Maybe that doesn't come up on Thanksgiving, and that's fine. It can come up today. If you know Jesus, if you believe in him, then you're welcome at these tables to participate in communion. But don't just do it as a ritual. Do it as a blessing and a thanksgiving because Jesus took your enemies and defeated them. He took your life of separation and made you close. All the elements at your tables are gluten-free. If that's a problem for you, know that it's available to you. And you have a mini loaf of bread at your table, and we invite you to take each, each one of you to take a chunk of that bread and just remember this is Jesus' body and it's broken for you. And then you can dip that in the cup. And as you do, say this is Jesus' blood and it's shed for you. Join in communion when you're ready. Celebrate that God has made a way for you to redeem you because he loves you. We've got to celebrate by stopping and seeing that God makes a way for all ultimate rest. We can celebrate that God makes a way for ultimate destiny if we turn and trust the one who holds the keys to life and death, the one who will wipe away every tear and every sorrow, the one who's making all things new, as Revelation tells us in Jesus. But we can also celebrate that God makes a way for ultimate reward. See, in this text, the writer tells the people in this decree that it's not just a time that the Jews got relief from their enemies, but it's a time where their sorrows were turned to joy, that their mourning was turned to celebration, and how they were to experience this was through gifts of food to each other and gifts to the poor. These presents of food are actually called portions in the Hebrew, in the text. And it's actually a similar word to the word Purim, this chance, this fate, this portion. And when you see this word, when you study it a little bit, and you, see the pl- you can see the play in the words, that there's this sense that, that Esther was given this large portion of beauty. It says that she was magnificent and beautiful, and yet she didn't use her portion of beauty for her own gain. She used her beauty to work for good in the people. Now Haman, this enemy, he was given this chance in this huge portion. He was made second in command in the empire and was given this huge chance or this huge portion and he chose to work for evil. He chose to work for destruction. He took a chance on the people and it came back on him. And his portion was given to Mordecai who then used his 
portion to work for good in the people. When you think about this thing of, of portion, um, maybe the best way to describe it is in Psalm 16. In Psalm 16, King David uses the same word. And he says this. He says that the Lord has assigned my portion and my cup, and you have made my lot secure. It's this prayer that this king has, is making to his God. Lord, you've assigned my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. Now, we don't know if King David is writing this as the anointed but not yet king. We don't know if he's writing this from a cave where he's being chased by the, the now king. We don't know if it's while he was king or even if it's when he's king but his son is trying to take him out. There are a lot of times in David's light where his lot, his chance, his portion isn't secure. And yet, he sees God as the only one who gives him true security. Think about what's happening in your life right now. Are there moments of security or insecurity? I was with a group of pastors, and this guy was telling me, uh, telling us about this really challenging time. And he goes, you know, it's just an opportunity for non-anxiousness. And I'm like, oh, that's good. I'm going to steal that one. Yeah, this is an opportunity to be non-anxious. I failed at 11 when my mom, when the oven broke, my mom didn't break it. If you're listening, mom, you didn't break it. But it's an opportunity for us to see where God is, where, how he's made us secure. Whatever you're going through. A couple people had their, their furnaces go out this week in our church. It's an opportunity to put our trust in God. It's not to make light of the situation, but it is an, it is an opportunity to trust God. And when you see that God is the one who provides the rest, and that God is the one who provides the destiny when we trust him, that ultimate life is found when we're with God, then anywhere we are with God is an opportunity to celebrate. It's an opportunity for reward. I got to spend the weekend with good friends, friends we've known for years and years and years. I I was telling some, we were young and dumb. Maybe we're still not very smart, but We've done all these years of life. We've had all these kids together and we still get together year after year. It was an opportunity to celebrate. It's not something where I had to worry about what was going to happen. There was this moment on Friday morning as we were waiting for them to come and all my kids said, uh, we were having breakfast and they said, awkward silence. I don't know, they're at that age. But we got to, you know what? There is no awkward silence when you know whose you are and you know who you're with. And when you understand that ultimate reward is life with God, then if you're in a place of responsibility, it's an opportunity for reward. If you're in a place where you get to play, it's an opportunity for reward. If you see the portion that God has given you and you understand how blessed you are because the ultimate riches of God's grace are in you because of Jesus, it's so easy to be generous. In fact, I would say that if we really want to understand how to celebrate in this way of true reward, we would have to understand God's generosity. In fact, the only way we could celebrate is if we understood God's generosity. And that's why these people gave gifts of food to each other in a time of poverty, in a time of oppression, and that's why they gave gifts to the poor. 
Now, when you think about gifts to the poor, I think it still translates to our day because we still have the poor around us today. And we gave opportunities in the last couple weeks to sponsor kids at Westview Elementary who needed food on the weekends through the Sheridan story. And we had over $500 come in, in addition to the over $3,000 that we have. We've have now funded them for the whole remainder of the school year that, f- that uh, 24 students will have weekend food every weekend for the remainder of the school year. That is a portion of generosity. That is an ultimate reward. That is something that I think Jesus will, will tell us in heaven well done. We have a little tree in the back. We've done these armful of love gifts. Every single ornament that we had last week was, was, was taken. You all said, yes, out of my portion, I will share. I think there's a few left. We had to go ask the, ask the um, place we're partnering with, 360 Communities, for more. Is that right? And so if you want to participate in that, you can. But if you haven't or if you didn't, know that restoration as a church ties to the poor. We give a portion of our operations and missions budget to the poor, the needy, and the hurting. We make sure to make room for that. So if you give to us, know that it's not just for the things around here. It's to bless the people out there. So as you go into the holidays, we're going to take one more time to talk around the tables for a couple minutes before we close. And I want you to think about ways that you could bless others this Christmas season. It is still Christmas. It's not getting pushed out like Thanksgiving, but it's Christmas. It's Christ's Mass. It's Jesus at the center of a holiday. How are ways that you could be generous this holiday so that Jesus could be in the center of it? I want you to think about that. Before we close, though, think about when you've done that and you've actually been the one that's been blessed. Because I think that God makes a way for ultimate reward so that not only does he use you, but when he uses you, you still end up being blessed. So maybe you're going to share something at your table that's going to inspire someone else in a way that they haven't thought of before. And it doesn't have to be big. It could be a very simple and small thing. But as you do that, know that it makes a difference in someone else's life and could potentially change the way they view this holiday season. And we could come back next year and hear about how something of sadness was turned to joy because you shared, because you gave, because you remembered how to celebrate this season. Go ahead and take a few minutes. Would you celebrate today, knowing that God provides the way for you that gives you ultimate rest if you just stop and see it? That you know that God provides a way to ultimate destiny if you turn and trust to him. And that you know that God provides a way to ultimately be with him, to have this ultimate reward, to enjoy his presence if you remember that you're always his. That God, who says that I hold the keys to life and death, that says that I am the first and the last, that says I am wiping every tear away. I am the one who writes this down and is trustworthy and true. Would you go in your grace and in, your, in his peace knowing that God is with you, that God provides the way, that God provides the reward, and that as you bless others, you'll be blessed. So make a new friend on the way out and have a great Sunday.